0: I was just thinking, you know, I had coffee on Friday with Evan, I had coffee later with Gary Smith, and was thinking just how thankful we are for the veterans in our church. And um, just if you served, would you stand up for just a second? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Santa Claus, our Santa Claus stand-in right there, too, Dave Wetzel. <laughs> appreciate you guys. Well, I just want to say thank you. We're just so grateful. Reading through the prayers of gratitude that you guys wrote down last week, I thought, I just felt so moved. I think gratitude gives us such a wonderful lens for how we see the world and um, helps us appreciate all the things that God is doing. So often, we look through a very different lens, don't we? And we, we see the things that are troubling or the things that are difficult when I think God invites us to see and to focus on those things that um, that stir our hearts, show us the beauty of God, and reveal His uh, hand actively at work in our world. so we um, are going to continue in our series on wisdom, and this is our third week going through it, and so I thought I would just kind of rewind a little bit for those of you that haven't been here kind of where we 've been and how we 've gotten here but um, this this theme of wisdom it's it's a thread that i think runs throughout scripture it's at the heart of the story of the entire bible is this work of wisdom that god is doing in each one of his children restoring that a heart of love and compassion but teaching his children to be wise and i think so often i, I look around at the world today and see kind of the this vacuum of so little wisdom being demonstrated and um, as I think about this, I think for us as a church, there's nothing more important for us to lean into, that we live in this sort of active school of God's wisdom, but if we're not paying attention, we so often miss it. And, and I think one of the reasons that we do, some of that is even, I think, a choice. I, um, Bobby's here. Bobby's sitting in the back. There's a metaphor that she gave, and I've repeated this several times, but Trish reminded me of it this morning, and um Every once in a while you get these like little vivid images, right, that just continue to speak. And I was a part of a Bible study with Bobby years ago and she said, you know, every time I see somebody that I aspire to be like, I go up to them and turn the price tag over and generally go, ooh, no thank you. (laughs) And I thought, gosh, it's such to me a great picture that who here doesn't want to be wise? All of us aspire to wisdom. And the signs of that wisdom, that graciousness or that generosity, that, um, non-anxious presence, I think so often when we flip that over and look at the price, we realize it costs more than we're willing to spend. And so often I think Jesus is, is pleading with us that this is the way of life. It's the way of abundance. It's the way of freedom, but it's costly. And understanding that cost, the the emphasis that he gives is that it's worth it. And that's the invitation. It's worth it. On the other side of that is that rest. On the other side of that is that freedom of the heart. I was reading a little bit from a book that was recommended. I think it's a Raya book, but Evan was talking about it. Um, This book um, by this guy, Michael Easter, that's on the comfort crisis. Anybody read this book? And there's a great quote in there where he talks about what he calls Western laziness, and he says, It consists of cramming our lives with compulsive activity so that there is no time at all to confront the real issues. If we look into our lives, we will see clearly how many unimportant tasks, so-called responsibilities, accumulate to fill them up. Going on as we do, obsessively trying to improve our conditions can become an end in itself and a pointless distraction. And I thought, how much of the things that we spend our time and effort on really are teaching us the deeper things? So often it's a way of creating comfort and avoiding hardship. When in fact, those are the things that tend to stir the deeper areas of our heart and bring us to life. That our pursuit of comfort, and I don't know about you, but when I pray, I tend to pray something along the lines of, God, make me more comfortable. God, make my life easier, simpler, more downhill, less uphill, right? This kind of idea. And I think God so lovingly says, no, it's not what we're doing. God invites us to this narrow road, invites us to the paths that we need to take. As we talk about our mission, and Sherry mentioned it, we, as a church, our, our vision is to become like Christ for the sake of others. And this idea of becoming like Jesus, it's its this high calling. He's saying, I want to teach you how to love like I love, how to think how I think, how to be wise like I am wise. And this kind of love, it requires more than just this sort of linear progression. It's not an accumulation of more and more knowledge. It's a whole change in our operating system. A verse that you've probably heard before, but a great one from Paul in Romans twelve two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And see, this idea of transformation, it's its talking about change on a much deeper level. And we go through so much change in our lives, and most of it is a kind of developmental change. It's an accumulation. It's a learning of more. It's progress, progressing. You go from Algebra 1 to Algebra 2, right? You're, you're moving in this kind of linear um, direction, accumulating more and more and more knowledge. And so we think of change as developmental or we think of it as transitional where you're going, it's like almost maturing from one thing to the next, going from one grade to the next grade. It's uh, going from being a teenager to an adult. It's, it's these ways of maturing where we go from one season of life into another. But the thing is transformation is something different. It's something new. It's something fundamentally that changes in us. And I liked this quote of it from Jim Marsden. He says, transformational change occurs when our foundational understanding of ourselves and the world around us significantly shifts. A transformation occurs when we go beyond the bounds of our current understanding and awareness. We cannot think our way through this change. We have to experience our way into it. And these moments where it's like an upheaval, right? Where all of a sudden it's like we colors look different. We see the world through a different lens. All of us have moments in our life where this kind of shift has occurred. Where all of a sudden it's like everything changes at once. I I think of it almost like the growth of a tree where it's like as those rings expand, it's like everything changes. Not just this one little compartmentalized area. And I think this is what I mean by a new operating system, right? I mean, how many of you are, just thought I would ask, and this is probably a little bit divisive, but um, how many of you are iPhone people? All right, and then, okay, put your hands down. How many Android people? All right, it's interesting. Yeah, well, uh, these are like different systems, right? And if you're one or you're the other... If I was to just suggest, why don't you just switch up? Why don't you try the other one? You probably find like, oh no no, I'm like way more dug in in that operating system than we realize, right? There's a new feature on this new phone, and you're like, sorry, I'm an Android person or I'm an iPhone person. It's a way of of sort of seeing the world, right? And when you shift operating systems, now all of a sudden you don't know where anything is. You're like trying to find the drop down menus or whatever it is, and it's not working the way you expected. And scripture talks about these kind of different ways of thinking as wisdom from below or wisdom from above. That there, turns out, are are different wisdoms that are out there, different operating systems. And so to have the right perspective in this helps us understand what is at the heart of a sort of different kind of wisdom being offered to us. And this is the thing, when these two sort of wisdoms try to come together, you realize one looks very different, that Jesus came in and and puzzled people by talking about how everything was sort of upside down. That the way to lead was to serve. The way to live was to die. And as he shared this whole way of thinking, right, the greatest is the least, he's talking about these competing operating systems, competing wisdoms. And so how we see the world and how we understand the world is going to be fundamental to how we live in it. If we see this world through just our limited like life of 80-so years on earth and an accumulation of resources and how to be the most comfortable or pleasurable, that's going to be one path. If we live our life through this lens of deep and eternal meaning that we are becoming something, that we are being formed into something, and something that will last throughout eternity, then maybe we invest our lives in a very different path. We talked about last week how there's an easy path, and it's this road of folly. And Proverbs lays this out for us, I think, so clearly, that there's these two voices, two people standing on the street corner, beckoning for the simple to follow. There's wisdom and then there's folly. And folly happens to be louder. And folly offers this like better deal, right? Stolen waters are sweet. You can find a shortcut. You can avoid the pains. There's an easy way around. But wisdom, more quieter, says this is the way of insight in life. And as we talk about this idea of becoming like Christ, we're talking about who we're being formed to be. And I don't mean to say that that's optional. All of us are being formed by our choices, by how we spend our time. But formed in what way and to what end is the question. And as we think about wisdom, what we find in our first Sunday on that is that it requires humility to come into this wisdom from above. It requires what... Solomon refers to as the fear of the Lord, this like deep respect for a greater truth is the beginning of this. Followed by a heart that is teachable, a heart that when it it bumps up against what's wrong or it discovers patterns in our own life that aren't working or aren't healthy, it's willing to shift, to change course, to change direction. The wisest man is the one who, when he discovers that he's wrong, immediately changes. And today we're going to talk about this transformation, how this new operating system shifts and changes, what that feels like when it does, and how really at the heart of it, it involves a great deal of trust. It's trust that helps us pay the expensive costs involved. Because everything in our minds is saying, no, 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 this has got to be the wrong way. When in fact, it's the right way. I read this quote last week, and I'm going to read it at the start again because I think it captures such like a a key point. And Lewis is is writing this in an essay called Man or Rabbit. And he said, In setting up a good life as our final goal, we've missed the very point of our existence. Morality is a mountain which we cannot climb by our own efforts, and if we could, we should only perish in the ice and unbreathable air of the summit. Lacking those wings with which the rest of the journey has to be accomplished. For it is from there that the real ascent begins. The ropes and axes are done away and the rest is a matter of flying. Is that good? And he's going this, Jesus talks again and again, this like new creation, this new man, this new thing that he's doing in us. A whole nother way of being human a way that speaks to this deep and profound thing that has been given to every single one of us, helping us to be birthed into this new creation. Second Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And it's, it's interesting. Wisdom often has this sort of paradoxical tension to it, right? What is the way to wisdom? It's humility. What's the chief end? Glory. And that both of these things sort of go together. I ended up writing a book on this because I love this idea of humility and glory. Which one? And turns out it's both. That the way to glory is humility. And yet this transformation creates a weightiness. To our soul, I like how that word "glory" in the Hebrew is "kavod," and this idea of "kavod" is this heaviness, this permanence, right to the soul, that as we're transformed, would we become something more durable, something heavier. And this transformation, which happens in our life. Anytime you look at somebody, like, kind of spelling out, how how does transformation take place? It generally starts with a call, some sort of call, some sort of moment or some sort of threshold in our life that we have to enter into. And think about that for just a second, because you all have had these sort of moments, right? These moments where everything again, like I've said, everything is going to be different on the other side of this door, and you have this invitation to step through. One of my key threshold moments happened at the end of sixth grade, going into seventh grade. Our family moved. It was like a massive shift and upheaval. My life changed so dramatically. I think of a, a time where I... Switched my major during college from engineering to communications. That was like a night and day pivot, right? Because I saw success and I saw my road, and I was going to be a scientist, and now I'm not. I, I still envy my daughter's becoming a, an engineer, and I'm so proud of her. I'm like, do what I couldn't do. Um, but yeah, a shift, right? I'm called to something different. I, I think of times in my life where. Gosh, I, wounds that I've received that went deep, that changed me. And there's a sense of like a threshold, like as you go through this moment, everything's going to be different on the other side. Or at least it can be. And sometimes those thresholds lead us into a very different road, a road of where our hearts become deeply wounded. And in that pain, don't change. They grow harder or more cynical. We become more fearful, more anxious. In this way, how we respond to crisis ends up becoming a huge part of our path towards wisdom. And with this, it's understanding that in these moments is the huge opportunities of our life. They call this like the you theory in transformation. And it's this idea that that as we're shifting, as we're changing, it usually feels sort of like desolation, that our life is getting harder and things are starting to struggle. And it's at the bottom of that you that things really shift. That that at first it's like trying to get our minds around this thing and then emotionally to like give our hearts to what's going on. But finally, in the end, it's a matter of will. It's this open-handed surrender that leads to Transformation which is hard to do. And if you're asking me, well, is this biblical? I would say it's every single story that you see in Scripture is about this sort of you. Now, some of them have more than one. The ones I often think of is like David, who's been anointed king and defeated the giant, flees into the wilderness for years is in hiding, hiding in caves. We at the beginning of COVID, talked about Joseph, which is my favorite story, I think, in the Bible. But Joseph being given this prophecy... Everybody will bow down to me. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. (laughs) that's so awesome (laughs) Joseph sold into slavery falsely accused ends up in prison right and emerges from that place only to stand before Pharaoh and what happens in this place this posture of surrender I love the story of Joseph because what you find out is that, that God is with him he blesses him in the servanthood that he gets sold into but in prison it says like the love like the hesed the love of God was with him there but as he emerges I love this he's like such a great leader and he comes alongside a pharaoh and he goes yeah you're gonna have a drought this is gonna be serious this is what you guys got to do you need to put somebody in charge of that and he turns around and like starts going back to jail and pharaoh's like "Whoa, whoa whoa you're my guy I'm gonna put you in charge and you see in these stories these these people that are <laughs> okay everybody turn your phones off all right if you have not yeah that's two strikes the third time <laughs> that's an iphone yeah siri uh-huh um yeah I, before i turn like that like Way that Siri would just like listen to you before I turned that off. Every time I would preach and say Assyria, my iPhone would come on and Siri would talk to me. (laughs) Every time. Anyway, carrying on, transformation. Um, This idea that, that God bestows this vision or this call on our lives, but so often leads us in a very different direction, in a costly direction, in a direction where we go, what in the world, God, are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. I thought you said I was going to be king. What am I doing in prison? Right? Or in the cave. I thought you said people were going to bow down. What am I doing in prison? And in these places, this, this you, right? There's a shift and a change. When when people respond in that place with trust, everything changes. Something new starts to emerge. The deep Glory of what God is doing in our life starts to show itself, but often this is a longer process than we would choose. I think for Joseph it was at least eleven years. I love that prayer by Teilhard de Chardin where he says, "Trust the slow work of God," and oftentimes this transformation is unbearably slow. I love that example that uh, of a. Um, the caterpillar going into a cocoon like totally liquefies when it's in that cocoon, right? It doesn't like sprout wings. That, that it, it, it basically turns into soup and then reemerges. And I think some of you probably today are like, yeah, that's how I feel. Like soup right now. <laughs> like everything's liquefied and you're going, God, where are you? In that place of desolation where you feel lost and you're going, I thought you said, right? If you read through scripture, you realize you're right on schedule. Like this is how it goes. This is that thing that like, if we could choose, we would avoid that price. We would avoid that cost. Proverbs 25 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water but a man of understanding will draw it out. And going into that space requires so much courage. We talk about this vision statement to become like Christ for the sake of others. Our mission is a safe space to heal and a brave space to grow. And I think that bravery, (laughs) when you go into the deep water of the heart, right? Often that feels horrible. So often when I'm going into that space, those past hurts or the things that I cling to, I can like feel it as like physical pain in my body. Have you experienced that? I'll tell you where I feel it. I feel it in my face. Right? And I'm like, oh. And you see God in those moments going, trust me, yeah. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. (laughs) Right? There's a way around this. There's a shortcut to this. How do we numb this thing? How do we avoid this thing? How do we just move on? But God says, oh, let's get in there and let's let this heal, but not just heal. Let's let this transform. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight or from the message. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. And man, when you're sailing along, this you know all of a sudden becomes sort of irrelevant to us, right? We're like, everything's straight. It just feels like we're going fine. But when the road starts to weave, we're like, oh, God says, trust me. I was thinking about this, sharing this example with Patty going, I think what this feels like to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and not all of you have experienced this particular terror, it's teaching your children how to drive. <laughs> Has anybody done this? Yeah, it's horrible, right? You're like, oh, like you're pumping the, there's no brake, but you still pump it anyways. And like every time they get a little too close to the cars next, you're like, ah, and you just like want to reach for the wheel and like to give up control like this takes a tremendous amount of trust. But I think sometimes that's how we are with God where we're like, okay, you got it, right? And all of a sudden we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we're pumping that brake going, God, slow down. It's not our understanding. And and so as a result of it, it feels precarious. It feels dangerous. Like, God, where are you taking me? And again and again, God is saying, where you need to go? This is the road of wisdom. This is the way of life. It's the narrow road. Trust me. There's a passage where Jesus is teaching in Luke 14. And I'm going to read this for you out of the message. I just think it reads really nicely. and um, But it's where Jesus like doesn't mince words. And it says, One day when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the costs so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Salt is excellent, but if the salt goes flat, it's useless, good for nothing. Are you listening to this? Really listening? And Jesus is here using a bit of rhetoric, and that's important. Obviously, love for your spouse and your children and all that, this mandated scripturally, right? So he's, he's not saying, eh, don't bother with that. He, he's using this as a way of creating a contrast He's saying, if you say you want to be my disciple, you need to be all in. It reminds me of somebody that's like leading an expedition and saying, who's with me? And we're like, oh, I'll I'll go. And he's like, well, wait, wait, some of you aren't going to make it, (laughs) right? It's this way of setting the bar high. But what's his intention there? He's going, oh, I want you all in. I want your whole heart. That this road, that this following this road of wisdom, we got to be committed to it. It's not a very effective evangelism strategy, by the way. (laughs) But you see what Jesus is saying. He's going, no, we're talking about a transformation into something totally new. A new way of being, a new way of operating in this world. And what you find as you go through this passage, you look at the examples. He talks about family. He talks about building a house. He talks about going to war. And isn't it interesting as we look at Jesus, unpack how this new kingdom operating system works, as he's going to say, it's not a limiting of your family. It's the fact that everybody belongs. And when you're building this, probably thinking potentially the Pharisees sitting there of building this temple, that what we're here to do is build this temple and God's going, yeah, that temple is your heart. That wisdom is the foundation of this temple that I'm building for myself and it's you. And when he talks about going to war and strategizing going to war, he's going to end up saying love your enemies. That this way of operating ultimately is about love at every single level and it's so counter is counterintuitive to our natural way of thinking. That we live this radical kingdom ethic, this wisdom from above, and when it comes into the world, it is a contrast indeed. But it's also an invitation. An invitation to hope and the deep longings that all of us have. That this road of wisdom may at first appear painful, but in the end, brings a lightness to us. It brings freedom to our hearts. It makes us spacious and more great, um, generous, able to love. Jesus talks about taking up this cross, right? But he's going, yeah, no, it's a death. It's a death to self. And it's a part of us that doesn't go quiet, does it? The self-protection, our defensiveness, our need to be right. And so this surrender, this is the threshold. This is the invitation to go through that door. To pray like Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And what comes when we do that in this capacity (laughs) that opens up in us is an invitation really to intimacy. What we find is as we lower our guard, as we trust in God, as we learn to live in that space of humility and acceptance, our hearts get softer I um, wanted to play it for you, but it would take too long. But I'm a YouTube fan. That's just like that's my generation, right? But um, did anybody see Bono on Colbert where he sang "With or Without You" and then like read from his book at the start? It's so beautiful. Nan and I are the only two. So good. But he's talking about his wife, right, Allie? And he says this. He says being kindly and graceful. My brown-eyed girl surprises people with her forthrightness and humor. Polite, but absent of politeness. You might not be pre- prepared for her tough-minded reading of the world or the people around her. He says, inscrutable, but not unknowable. Allie will let, you, will let her soul be searched only if you reciprocate. And she is ready for the long dive. Best to arrive at her fort defenseless to have a half chance at challenging her own almost unbroachable defense system. It's the only way over that drawbridge. Bono, in the pursuit of his wife, is going, the only way you get in there is you have to lower your defenses totally. And in the context of this song and his affection for the wife, you're going like, no, 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 this is the way. And so many of us are unwilling to lower our defenses. But isn't it interesting that this is what we are being invited to. That it's not just about wisdom. It's about intimacy with God himself. And he's saying the way into that space, the really good stuff of life is surrender. It's trust. It's being willing to walk through that pain and allowing God to do the deep work. I think about this relationally, Again and again, you see this, where I've been willing to sit in that place, in those weeds, and let God do the deep work. What comes out of it is a deeper sense of gratitude and love for the other. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when this happens to us, right, it's like I don't think we always see it or always notice it. We just realize that the things that used to trip us up or get in our way or cause us deep anxiety all of a sudden don't. They just seem smaller. As we grow, those things that used to seem like such deep temptations or, or struggles become, become little. We start to see them for what they are. I love this uh, from the Prince Caspian. There's this moment between little Lucy and Aslan where she goes and finds him one night. And this is her second time into Narnia. And she sees the lion again for the first time here and notices him and says, you've grown. And Aslan says, no, it's you who've grown. And I thought, isn't this cool? It's so our, our troubles, our struggles tend to get smaller as we grow. But as we grow also, God tends to get bigger, larger. We start to get a glimpse of just how full that love is, how deep and how wide. And that becomes the invitation to live in this place of deep, not just trust, but intimacy with God. And when you meet people like this, you can feel it, can't you? Dallas Willard says, when you meet a saint, you want to warm up to them like a fire, right? And this is the kind of people that we are invited to be. This is what wisdom feels like. And in all of this, as we talk about this, we're going to go further next week talking about just the sort of way that wisdom expands our view, opens our eyes, helps us to see, and helps us to become those kind of people that are ready to walk into heaven. Some questions for you. What season of life do you find yourself today? Are you in a place of consolation or desolation? I said, sometimes it's both. We sang some of those psalms of desolation this morning in our worship. I loved that, Paul. And the psalms invite us into that space of asking questions. It's in that place that God reorients our eyes and helps us see. Number two, is there a doorway or threshold in your life that you're avoiding? What are you afraid of and what might be on the other side? And the fear is so normal, it's even rational, right? It's not to say shame on you for feeling that way. It's just that place of resistance where you have the invitation to trust and to step through. And number three, what would it cost to trust God and walk through the threshold? to lower your defenses. God's promise is to never leave us. When we walk through the fire, he will be there. Can you imagine taking his hand, taking a deep breath, and taking that step together? Would you stand with me? This morning, um, we will have some people down front that if you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Wherever you find yourself in whatever season, maybe it's deep gratitude but maybe it's one of struggle. Wherever you're at, we would love to pray. But I thought I would read as a blessing over you this it's my one of my favorite passages from First Peter. But for all of us, as a reminder and as a commitment to what God is doing, as an invitation, I want to read this as a blessing. If you'd like to receive it, you can just hold your hands out. <laughs> what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him this father of our master, Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us in the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have been you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it, proved pure, genuine faith. Put through this suffering comes out, proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. You never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking forward to. Total salvation. Amen.